Welcome to Locked On Gators, your daily Florida Gators podcast brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Zach Goodall. I'm your new host. I'm joined by Demetrius Harvey. He'll be co-hosting this show with me. And we're uh, the two you know, lead editors and publishers of Sports Illustrated's Florida Gators channel, allgators.com. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll receive $10 off your next order. Now, for me, I've been covering football professionally since I was a junior in high school, but I made the jump to full-time instead of doing college. You know, I dropped out pretty early, and I joined the Gators Beat about a year and a half ago at the age of 20 years old. And I've been, you know, just grinding away ever since. And if you guys want to find that work, you can follow me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. You can also follow Demetrius at Demetrius82. Demetrius, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Demetrius Harvey. I'm the deputy editor for Sports Illustrated's Florida Channel All Gators. I've been covering the Gators beat since March with Zach, and uh, we've been just rolling ever since. Uh, me and Zach have ov- obviously previously worked together on the Jaguars beat. I currently still cover the Jacksonville Jaguars. We just hope to bring you guys some hard-hitting analysis, breakdowns, interviews from the press conferences, just everything in between, much, much more, and I'm sure you'll get to know us a little bit more as we get rolling, but uh, let's get into the show. And I'm sure if you're listening to this right now, uh, you're probably already subscribed from the last uh, last host that was here, and that's someone that I know personally, and he ran a great show. Uh, we're looking to, yeah. you know, not only follow in his footsteps to give you guys great content, which we know that you guys enjoyed while he was here, but also give you guys something new. We're looking to really provide hard-hitting analysis like Demetrius said, a lot of different film breakdowns, a lot of reviews, in-depth stats, you name it. We want to give you guys just the most in-depth Gators coverage you can find on a podcast. And with that, you know, we're pretty fresh off of a game here today. Um, We're recording on a Saturday night, fresh after uh, Florida versus South Carolina. Now this will probably be up on Sunday or Monday. It might be a little bit after. But we're still going to go ahead and give you our basic takes as to what we saw during today's game. And I think we want to start it positively, and we can talk about offense before we get into the negatives. You know, Demetrius and I, we've seen a lot of firepower out of this offense. We've been impressed by the way they've been able to spread the ball, uh, especially after losing four receivers to the NFL this year. But Demetrius, you know, what stood out to you offensively from Florida's game against South Carolina today, and how was it different from the uh, the Ole Miss game? Yeah, honestly, for me, I, I I figured that they were gonna maybe slow it down a little bit. That Ole Miss performance, six hundred yards, uh, four hundred yards from Kyle Trask. I never thought that that was gonna be something that would just carry on week after week. That's just not sustainable. Definitely not in the SEC, and definitely not against a team like South Carolina, who has definitely has a much more stout defense than what Ole Miss had going in because of a new coaching staff and things like that. But this game. At least for the for the most part, I felt as though Kyle Trask had a pretty solid game. He, you know, had four touchdowns. Uh, we saw the Kyle to Kyle connection again. Obviously, with I think he had four receptions, fifty seven yards, and two touchdowns. That guy's unbelievable. If there's one, if there's one takeaway I'm going to have from this Gators offense this year, it's just going to be Kyle Pitts is one of the best players, one of the best players in maybe Gators history when it's all said and done. I don't know if that's a hot take. But I mean, I, like, I, I truly <laughs> welcome to Locked On Gators. <laughs> yeah, I, I true, I truly believe this, and, and and we'll we'll get into it a little bit more as as we keep going throughout the weeks. I'm sure he's going to prove me right. I just, I really <laughs> do think, I really do think that this guy is that good. And and um, 
it, it, it it's actually unbelievable to me how well that they're able to play with so many different members on offense. They they have four wide receivers leave and go to the NFL, and you would think it's going to take them a couple weeks to get started, right? No. K- Kadarius Tony comes in, Trent Whittemore comes in, Trayvon Grimes, Justin Shorter, Xavier Henderson, Jacob Copeland. All these guys are getting reps, and it's just uh, it's it's an interesting thought to 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 think about. Like maybe the Gators don't necessarily need to have people who have been here before they just have that firepower because of Dan Mullen because of the offensive coaching staff because of Kyle Trask and it's been a pleasant surprise I guess I should say just to see them do well this early yeah I think that's been what's been most impressive to me is you know like you said they they are feeding Kyle Pitts he today he post he tied the record uh for school history of touchdowns by a tight end with 12 but at the same time they don't have to force things his way he said it himself in the second half he kind of disappeared from action they started doing different things defensively uh but that that allowed florida to start targeting other guys i mean we saw trent Whittemore uh put up his first touchdown of his career here a local legend but that's just that's a perk that's that's what you're going to see out of dan mullen's offense is that they're not going to necessarily pressure themselves into feeding this guy that could win potentially two different awards at two different positions, being the Bolitnikoff and the Mackey in, in, in Kyle Pitts. Uh, they can go to a Trent Whittemore. They can go to a Kadarius Tony. They can go to a Malik Davis out of the backfield. If they want to, they can put Keon Zipper in a tight end too. They just, they want to take advantage of any mismatch that they can find, like they like to say. And it truly is, I think, one of the most impressive aspects of covering this team. At the same time, you know, if there's one thing that we know about Dan Mullen, just from his history as a coach is that he does like to run the ball. He wants to be able to run the ball. And that was a struggle last year. It seems like it's a bit better this year in terms of raw numbers, but I think you and I both have our own concerns, right? Yeah. The, the, the thing is that I think last week they, they did a pretty good job. So I think they had around 200 yards rushing, which is a solid job, especially when when you consider where they were last last season. I believe they were averaging around 150. I don't know. I could be wrong on that number, but I think it was around that where it wasn't as uh, explosive or where Dan Mullen wants to go because he, like you said, he's a guy that loves to run the football. So it's a little bit different to see them only rush around what 20 times today, Max. Something um, like that, but the thing yeah. is that, like, in back-to-back weeks, the leading rusher and the leading guy in attempts never broke double digits. Yeah, exactly. So if you're going to have Damian Pierce only rush, you know, nine times or however many times he rushed, it's just – it's not something that's built for success, especially when you want to have those long, sustaining drives. You're not going to be able to to keep the offense on the field for as long as you need to in, in order for the defense to, to get their, their breaks, which was so an issue, today, which was an issue yeah. today. I mean, like it, it wasn't an issue when it was all said and done because they put yeah. up like 0.75 points per minute when it or per snap. I'm sorry. When it was all said and done, which is ridiculous, but you know, they still want to control the ball. Mullen said it as much in a frustrated tone that they only ran 53 plays today. And that's in comparison to South Carolina's 83, but <laughs> You know, yeah, maybe you'd get more plays and you get more time of possession if you're giving the ball to the guy that is running the ball really well, nearly six yards per carry. Yeah, and and and, and that's the thing you have to, you have to you have to think about it in terms of how you want your offense to look late in the game with the lead. The Gators played in a shootout last week, 
And so they couldn't really run the ball too much late, although they did. They did they did well running the football. This time they're up, what was it, 38 to 17 around there, and they're not running the football. They ran three plays to come out of the punt. They ran four plays for a touchdown, three plays for a touchdown, six plays, and then Kyle Trask would throw an interception. But Damian Pierce didn't even touch the ball on that drive. So there's there's drives like that where you expect your bell cow or your your bell cow and your guy who's been being aggressive, making all those tough yards, getting your first offensive touchdown of the day. You expect that guy to be your your lead back. But I, I guess we'll we'll just see how more balanced they can be moving forward. Yeah, and I hope we're not letting listeners off on the wrong note. We're not going to be here constantly questioning the coaching staff. As we said at the start, we both have a huge amount of respect for what Dan Mullen does offensively. It's great. But, you know, we're going to be neutral, and, you know, that was one thing I think that could have helped a lot today against South Carolina is feeding the ball to your lead guy, to Damien Pierce. Like you said, that guy that set the tone early on, and especially when you want to control the clock and you want to have more plays, a guy that is going to set the tone as the game goes on, so... We'll be talking a lot about Dan Mullen's offense throughout this podcast. You guys will get used to it. We've got a lot of appreciation for it. But we've got to talk about the defense, too, and the issues that they've been having, which we'll do when we come back. Hey, everyone. This is Zach Goodall, host of the Locked On Gators podcast. You know, they say the most important thing about your workout is what you eat to supplement it. In order to up my protein and fiber with a low-calorie, low-sugar snack, I choose Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, and they have six new flavors for you to try if you haven't already. My personal favorites are the Cookies and Cream and Cherry Barcia, with each packing 17 grams of protein. But you can't go wrong with 18 flavors to choose from. Built Bar is great if you're looking for a tasty treat while simultaneously maintaining or losing weight, and the Lockdown Podcast Network wants your taste buds to get familiar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, no space, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. All right, so now we'll go ahead and move on to Todd Grantham's side of the ball and the Florida Gators defense. It's safe to say that at the beginning of the season through two games, we've seen a lot of explosive plays from Florida's offense, and we've also seen some explosive plays given up by Florida's defense. Um, that wasn't as much the case today against South Carolina, but you know, there were some positive, there were improvements and there were some negatives. Um, uh, we can go ahead and start with some positives. I saw some individual performances and, you know, guys that are really starting to stand out. And I think what Florida can build upon, uh, one of them is defensive lineman, Zachary Carter. He made the move inside to three technique, uh, and he works outside on occasion. It's kind of the opposite of what his role was last year, where he'd, primarily work at the end spot and go inside this role is leading to a lot of pressures for carter he's uh creating stuff from the inside uh forcing quarterbacks to flush out and in return that's allowing guys like chris bogle to come in and wrap up plays like just speaking of today he and uh bogle ended up splitting a sack in the third quarter uh, that was one of the few moments where the pass rush did seem to stand out but otherwise it's been a relatively lackluster performance from a group that everyone thought was going to be a strong point for Florida this year. Uh, Demetrius, what did you see from the pass rush today? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of more of the same from last week. It, it, it started off with a, a couple pressures that you kind of expected because, of, you know, to start the game, that's kind of how it goes with the offensive line and the defensive line. But 
there was only four sacks on the day, and two of those you alluded to the one with uh, Zach Carter and Chris Bogle. That one was a heavy blitz. It was pretty much a gang tackle. They could have given it to anybody on the defense at that point. There were so many uh, Florida defenders in that area. And then there was another one that was a blitz, and and they, and they got home. And then a couple of them were, were just really good plays. I think one by James Houston, and then another one by Zach Carter, who you know tallied one and a half sacks. He was, I I kind of do agree with you. He's definitely been the best defensive lineman on the team in terms of generating p- pass rush, and that's what they want. But at the same time, you want to have a guy like Brenton Cox have a repeat performance from last week. And I didn't really feel like I saw any of that. And that was one of the issues that I saw with with this Gators pass rush, and I'm not I'm not truly sure how they're going to start generating more. If they need to blitz more, if they need to just play better technique or or what. But for now, it's just kind of lackluster. Yeah, I'm with you, um, Brandon Cox. It, I kind of view him as like a bull in a china shop. Like we've seen him just be full blown aggressive and timing stuff and these like these wicked counter moves and these spins that's just like whoa. This dude's got it. The issue is it's not all together. You know, there's going to be times where he's got to snap out of pass rush mode and work to setting the edges in the run because the edges have been almost non-existent on both sides. And this is something that you, as well as other reporters, alluded to today during the game. It's almost like they run a two-man front with Slayton and Carter there, and then you've got two guys that are the ends, quote-unquote, but really they're just acting as linebackers. You're not beefing the edges, and that's what's making it tough to stop the run. So that is a reason why I like to have Carter on the outside because he is such a big body that can anchor the run. But, you know, one of the biggest things for Florida this year is is their depth. They don't have a ton of depth there, so it is going to be hard to build, you know, a strong run defense unless you can shift around your personnel a bit and really teach those fundamentals. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they actually do because obviously you have Javon Dexter who – who's going to be a great player for this Gators defense, but he's so raw. I mean, like you, you can't just throw a freshman out there and, and expect him to dominate, you know, 83 snaps a game. He's not going to be playing those snaps. He's going to be playing maybe 10 a game, 15 a game until they actually can trust him to stay in his gap, stay in his alignment and make sure that he's there to do his job instead of kind of free roaming. You can't have a freshman free roam and it's just going to make you give up explosive plays over and over again. Um, I know that they do give up those plays on the edge, and I and I did allude to that earlier this uh, earlier today or earlier on Saturday. Sorry, it, it it was almost as if they were playing a two, four, or five, and every time South Carolina wanted to run, they could, at least for a while, until they had to pass because the Florida offense was was just that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I did one thing I did want to bring up though, Zach, is the the twenty five first downs by South Carolina, and then. This is the this is probably the most concerning part of this. Five of six conversions on fourth down. If if you're if you're the Gators, you you have to think that this is the the most pivotal down in distance that you can have on a football field. These are literally game changing plays or potentially game changing plays that have to be made by your defense, and you're allowing them to convert five of six on fourth down. And I think that that is kind of a turning point where you need to settle them down, figure it out see what, what sort of fronts they're, they're going to play, and then they have to come out and execute the play. Otherwise, the South Carolina is just going to keep rolling down, and, and that's kind of what they did, and that's how they were able to almost catch up. And that's the thing. Last week, third down efficiency for Ole Miss, everyone was really concerned about, and it seemed like that was going to be a problem, especially early on in the game, but it ended up being a lot better as things went on. They finished 6 of 17 on thirds, but 
Yeah, it, it's almost like it just rolled right into that next down, and South Carolina knew that. Yeah, they they, they didn't need to uh, convert on third down because they were in, getting such favorable down and distance on fourth that it made sense for them to go for it on fourth, and they, they were able to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, if you're going to allow those fourth and ones to be converted with an easy dive up the middle, then uh, every team is going to start doing that, especially in plus territory. Um, it, it, it's, it's one of the reasons also why South Carolina possessed the ball for 36 minutes. One of the reasons why South Carolina ran 83 plays against this defense that was clearly tired near the end. Now we've got some pretty big news to cover, uh, but before we do that, I want us to both go ahead and just list off one player that we want to see defensively take the next step after a rough start to their season. And I'll go ahead and start with linebacker Amari Bernie. He's a guy that, you know, I've believed in since I got here. I've really liked the idea of projecting him into a star role or maybe even the weak side linebacker with, you know, the size that he's gotten to and his athleticism, his coverage instincts when he was playing safety uh, as a prospect. And it's not working. <laughs> it, it, it's just been like he showed off these instincts in the box last year when he was healthy that gave you hope about it. But now we're seeing it on a full time basis and. He just looks lost. It happened at Ole Miss. It happened on that touchdown to Harris today uh, where he was covering that, I, I guess, the check down route. He just he just totally over-pursued, and by the time Harris had the ball, Bernie's, like, turning around, like, looking for what's going on. Like, come on, man. I'm a huge believer in this guy. He's a guy that can come down and make plays and run defense if he wants to because he's quick and he's a big hitter. He's a guy that's got safety skills. He's shown it before in the past making big plays. Uh, pass breakups, I believe, uh, like the 2018 Peach Bowl, although I could be wrong as to what big play he made there. But that was when he was a freshman. Like, he's shown a lot of potential. I just want to see him get it together because he's got a really good running mate at linebacker in Ventrell Miller, and he could be in, uh, he could lose that spot if he doesn't put it together pretty quickly. Yeah. It, it, it seemed as though Bernie was going to be at least coming into the season because, you know, obviously we haven't been able to see these guys. No one was able to see these guys in the spring. We kind of all always projected him as maybe the star or, you know, just a, an auxiliary guy who comes in. Didn't really project him to be the starting linebacker next to Ventrell Miller. So that was kind of something that, that threw us for a curve or however you want to say it. And we, 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 we didn't really understand that. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, he does have to get better. And one guy that, that I feel I, – I don't necessarily think that, that he's been playing very poorly, but Marco Wilson, he's a guy – that you expect more from him. I think he's entering his, I believe it's his fourth season on the team, his third year playing because he's a, a, a red shirt. Yeah. Cause of the, uh, cause of the ACL. Yeah. He's, so yeah, he started as a freshman, the sure, expectations and, for him. I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, I want to verify like they should be extremely high. The dude was the fourth day one starting cornerback as a freshman in UF history. Exactly. So if, if, if he's going to be out there and being the guy next to Kyrie Elam, however they want to play it today, he started at star for um, CJ McWilliams, who was inactive today or did, didn't suit up. And if, if he's going to be the guy, you have to expect him to be able to take control of the secondary. And, to, and there's been far too many plays where you're looking around, you're like, where's the defensive back? And you know, oh, there goes Marco. Like it, 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 it's one of those things where, you have to have that veteran presence. And I believe as the season goes on, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll continue to get better. But for now, that's one of the guys that I think that just needs to step it up a little bit more. When we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about something that I guess you could say Florida has stepped up and it's their running back recruiting in a sense. 
All right, so from here on out, we're not going to necessarily be talking about uh, a recap uh, regarding a South Carolina team. However, we are going to be talking about the Florida Gators and another South Carolina team and how they're connected via the NCAA transfer portal. But before we do that, make sure to go and subscribe to the Lockdown Gators podcast. Just about anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us. Uh, as well as follow our new Twitter page at Lockdown Gators. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the people listening today were following the last account, but with us comes a new Twitter account. So make sure to go smash that follow button. Am I right? Uh, and with Please. that, and with that, um, we're going to go ahead and start talking about Demarcus Bowman. I think pretty much every Florida Gators fan, certainly everyone listening to this show, has heard the name Demarcus Bowman by now. Um, as he has just announced that he will be transferring from Clemson to Florida. Uh, but he's a guy that he was a priority recruit, probably the number one recruit for Florida in this past class as they've been looking to add a superstar to the running back room. They've been looking to do it for years, and they were already you know, kind of struggling with the position, recruiting on the field in general. They needed to get Bowman into the last class. They They put a lot of eggs into that basket. Uh, they respected his commitment to Clemson, but they still were trying to get him through the end. Um, then, you know, he went up to he went up to Clemson, one of the motivating factors to go there. His grandfather, who lived in Atlanta, unfortunately passed away recently. Uh, and then the grandfather on, I believe, his father's side passed away shortly after that. And it just led, you know, to being the best thing for him to come back home to the state of Florida. And Florida welcomed him with... Uh, with welcoming arms. And I think it really worked out best for both parties. And at the end of the day, Florida really lucked into a hell of a talent at running back. Yeah, they really did. And and the thing is Florida hasn't been recruiting running backs lately. I mean, if you look at it, this class doesn't have a running back. This I'm talking about the 2020 recruiting class. And then the 2021 recruiting class doesn't necessarily have a running back. Yes, they did have, Lorenzo Lingard, who was a former five-star player, but he's he was coming off of a, a a knee injury where people didn't really know what he was going to do. He was in Miami, and he kind of almost essentially got cast aside, and, and he had to change locations because it just wasn't working out there. At least with Bowman, you have a guy who was all basically he is a guy who was already in this class. He's already done all the, all the things he needed to do. He's a fresh player coming out of high school. The only difference is now he's going to have to sit out a year. He's not going to be playing, obviously, for, for Clemson. He's not going to be playing for the Gators this season. Um, So he'll just have to sit out a year and, and try to right the ship, I guess you can say, for Greg Knox and Dan Mullen next year. Basically, they have a new guy coming in, and they might end up trying to get another guy next year if they if they so please. Yeah, we know that Florida's been pitching the potential for two running backs in the class of 2022 because odds were, transfers aside, they were going to go back-to-back classes without a running back. Now you can kind of say that Bowman cheats that and they have gotten one, so it's not as much of a stress. Um, But that was something that they were certainly pitching in the 2022 class. Now, what's going to be worth monitoring is exactly know where Bowman's eligibility comes from here. And I wouldn't bet on him to be able to take the field immediately. Um, maybe he'll be able to get a waiver for next year. We've seen a lot of guys like Cade Mays, notably for, um, for Tennessee. Uh, that was very recent. And some other guys, um, the NCAA started to allow a lot more immediate eligibility waivers as of late amid the pandemic and everything going on. So it makes sense. 
Um, but we're not exactly sure what kind of impact uh, Demarcus Bowman can make to this running back room right now. But in the long term, Demetrius, you know, what do you think this addition will do? Well, I mean, it, it it honestly does a lot. Like, if you think about it, you have a guy like Damian Pierce going into one – next year he's going to be going into his last season. You have Malik Davis, who's about to be going into his last season. You have Naquan Wright, who's heading into his – I believe it would be his third season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Iverson Clement, who's kind of been another guy on the roster who hasn't really been doing much or getting much playing time at all. Um it's going to be interesting to see how they put Bowman in the mix, but he's definitely going to be one of the stars. Uh, they're expecting to lose at least one or two this year, and then maybe something happens where Clement transfers or where they're in a situation where they need another backup guy. It, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they move forward. But as of right now, I, I expect, I fully expect Bowman to be one of the big time players for the Gators running game next, next year. And I think that, at least for now, this gives a little bit of a credit to Greg Knox in terms of at least having a guy in his running back room who he can develop. Uh, he doesn't have to go out there chasing 2022 guys now. He doesn't have to get two of them if he doesn't want to. He can go get one now. Uh, it, it, it's not a dire situation as it was looking like it would be if they just simply passed yet again on a running back this year. Now, I, I do want to clarify where Iverson Clement transferring, that's just obviously – potential speculation but i mean it makes it makes sense there's there's nothing concrete there about it's, that it's happening. more about it's just, it's, like, it's just more about having a crowded backfield I mean, yeah. at some point you have to figure this might be a better opportunity for him i don't know if he's going to transfer at all yet to, but, to he, but he but he he is a talented kid though and he you know he hasn't really gotten any chances at florida but last year he had the big rush against ut martin in one of his like very 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 few snaps so Maybe there is something there that Florida's just totally missing on, but I'm not sure. Yeah, all we know is know. all we know is we might not ever know because Demarcus Bowman is in town, and that totally changes the outlook of the room completely. And that should just about do it for our our first episode as the hosts of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Once again, I'm Zach Goodall. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host Demetrius Harvey at Demetrius82. Uh, this upcoming week, we're going to have plenty more episodes uh, as we're getting ready. I will be traveling out to College Station uh, to cover this Florida Gators versus Texas A&M game, a ranked game, the first ranked game for Florida this season. Uh, we're going to have a lot of different content coming your way to preview that game. We'll be doing crossover episodes with Cole Thompson of Locked On Aggies. Uh, you guys want to make sure to check that out as well as the rest of our stuff. So make sure to go subscribe. Just about anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to Lockdown Gators. And we'll catch up with you guys next time. Take it easy.